Oh, that's my favorite Christmas carol right there. You know, it's, it's fun to go out in the world and do your shopping and hear that playing fall on your knees. You know, and one day the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, there's just so much that uh, uh, this season represents, and we trust that God will open the ears and the hearts of the people who are out and about hearing bits and pieces of this message, but maybe not understanding what it means. Junior church age kids can slip out at this time if they would like, cross the hall, and the rest of us will dive into Second Peter. Well, this season of the year, I always think, should I preach something dealing with Christmas? Should I stay in my series? And I've decided to stay in my series until December 24th, all right? We'll break out December 24th, Sunday morning, Lord willing, we'll, we will uh, have a more um, festive message. But we're, we're plowing through Second Peter, and I, I, I want to continue uh, to see what God has for us in, in this passage. Second Peter chapter 2 is not the most encouraging passage. That's kind of a bummer at Christmas time. But there are encouraging nuggets to take out of it. And I'll tell you this, anytime uh, God gives us a warning and we heed that warning and we avoid the pitfalls we were warned of, well, that's a blessing. That's a good thing. That's positive. So chapter 2, uh, I'll be honest with you this morning, I, I prepared the whole chapter. So I'm ready to preach the whole thing. I don't know that that'll happen, and usually I know exactly where I'm going to stop, and this morning I don't. We will see how far we get. We'll see where the Lord uh, leads us to, to get through, and depends on kind of how, how things go. But I've been encouraged as I have worked through this passage. It's been of help to me, and I trust it'll be of help to you as it is a warning to God's people. And also many examples given to God's people so that we would heed them, learn from them, and set our course in a very, very direct biblical uh, trajectory to avoid some pitfalls that are so prevalent and have been since, obviously, the beginning. We're in Second Peter chapter 2, and this is the warning about false teachers, false prophets, and it was bad in Peter's day. Folks, it hasn't gotten any better today. If anything, we have just that many more ways of engaging with uh, false teachers and false teaching thanks to all the technology. Technology is a great thing uh, when you use it for the gospel and for good, but anything that is good can also be hijacked and used for evil purposes. And so there's plenty of false teaching circulating around, circulating around YouTube and the internet, and so forth. We need discernment. As we saw in chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1, uh, we need to be grounded in the Word of God. And as we're grounded in His Word, learning that discernment through uh, illumination from the Holy Spirit, we are in a better place to be able to discern what is a false teaching or what is uh, truth. The Bible says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily, that means secretly, subvertively, privately, uh, seductively, they shall bring in damnable heresies, 
even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the whole truth shall be evil spoken of and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you who is judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. And then he gets into some illustrations which we will look at here in a couple of minutes. Uh, just to review, we did cover that much last time, and uh, we, we looked at this disturbing portrait, the disturbing portrait of the false teacher. We just let's run through this. We looked at their sphere. There were false teachers among the people. Uh, we saw their subtlety. They will be privately bringing in these damnable heresies. Uh, we saw their sacrilege, even denying the Lord that bought them. Uh, you know, the Lord did everything needed to be done to purchase our salvation. Uh, he did everything needed to be done for redemption, and yet they denied him and refused him. Their supporters here will follow. Many shall follow their pernicious ways. I think I have this on the screen somewhere. It should be in the deck, guys. Uh, uh, then the, you see their supporters following in this uh, in these pernicious ways, and you see their sensuality, uh, their pernicious ways. And throughout this passage, you're going to see more of just how much of the false teachers are given to sensuality. Uh, their stigma, we saw that last time, uh, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, because of what they do and because of who follows in their footsteps, uh, because of how much of a, uh, of, a, of a stink these guys cause, then the, the whole way of truth is evil spoken of. Their skill set, we saw that, through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Uh, their skill set is covetousness. It is making merchandise of people, how to make a buck from the pew, the church pew and uh, being uh, absolutely unscrupulous about this. Their speech, we saw that, they shall with feigned words, fake, empty, feigned, uh, hypocritical words, uh, they will do whatever they need to do and say whatever they need to say, and it'll sound really good, but it's all part of their, their plan to uh, make merchandise of individuals. And we saw their sentence, uh, they will bring upon themselves swift destruction, they, their judgment, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. In other words, these false teachers will be judged. They are already under the judgment of God, and they will be judged. And we do not need to uh, doubt that, simply because there are false teachers walking around who seemingly are not being judged. So this was the portrait of false teachers, this disturbing portrait. We'll see secondly, now as we get into some new material, this divine precedent. There's also a divine precedent. Uh, verse 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that afterward should live ungodly, 
And, this is the same thought, and if God delivered just Lot, righteous Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds... The, the argument here is this. If God does all of this, then verse 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Now, this passage sounds a whole lot like Jude. I did not put this in the notes. If you have your Bible on your lap, you could turn over there for a moment. But the book of Jude in verse 6 it sounds so, so similar. And the angels which catch not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. Sounds very familiar, right? It's a, it's a, a parallel passage. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile themselves, uh, defile with the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Now, we didn't read that far yet in Second Peter, but Second Peter makes the same argument, how the false teachers are very brash and will speak evil of authorities. He says in verse 9, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, uh, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. And so we have parallel arguments from Jude and Peter, both saying even angels like Michael the archangel still deal with authorities with a certain respect and come in Jesus' name. They don't come in their own name. It's the Lord rebuke thee. Even an angel, even Michael the archangel did not come in his own authority. He came under the authority of Christ. And you see some of these, uh, I don't know, internet preachers and TV preachers, and they have their own authority. And, uh, and the, the argument here is not even Michael the archangel would dare do that. You go on and you read, these, e these speak evil of those things which they know not, but, they, but what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things, they corrupt themselves. Second Peter also makes an analogy about them being brutes, brute beasts. Woe unto them, for they have gone after the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. And he goes on, and it's exact, it sounds like 2 Peter 2.0 is what it sounds like. Uh, Jude and 2 Peter, uh, they, they, uh, they have the same message. Well, it should not, should not surprise us. The Holy Spirit gave it to both of them. And it was a message that was very needed in their day, and so it was duplicated. And it is preserved for us today, duplicated, because of how much we need it as well. So there's this divine precedent of judgment where the angels that sinned and the whole world in Noah's day and Sodom and Gomorrah all were judged for what? For rejecting, for refusing God and going wholesale after their own fleshly indulgences. You have the fallen angels here. Of course, there were those who fell when they followed Lucifer. And those are the demons who are now confined to this this uh, earthly realm, and Satan is the prince in the power of the air. He walks about seeking whom he may devour. Uh, you have demons who are waiting for their judgment day, but they are free to do Satan's will in this earth. And we fight spiritual warfare in prayer and lift the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the devil and his minions today. 
Let's, but we, we think that not only is he talking about that, but maybe further than that, there is those in Genesis 6 that uh, did not keep their first estate, and they went in to the, uh, the daughters of men and raised up this, uh, this generation that God greatly judged. And so the question is, well, who are these angels? Is it the, is it the Genesis, 6, Genesis 6 angels or whatever? Uh, the, the point he's making is, is this, they're judged, okay? Whoever it is, if it's the, the angels, in, the, the, the demons in general, or those who followed, uh, who followed specifically, uh, more, more than Lucifer, they, just, they, they followed after their own lusts and the whole Genesis 6 incident. The bottom line is they are judged, and no one is so superior as to avoid judgment. That's the point of this passage. Nobody, not even angels, are so superior that they're going to get away with refusing the Lord and denying the Lord who made it possible for us to be saved. So he, he has this, this threefold argument. Angels, they are not going to get away with it. The whole world didn't get away with it. So angels and humanity are not going to get away with it. The worldwide flood is talked about there. He spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. In other words, Noah and his family were saved. Noah was this preacher, a voice crying in the wilderness. He was building this ship. He looked like a crazy man, and yet he had a message from God, and they rejected him, and they rejected his message. They rejected the Lord. They went full on after their sin. Every thought of the imagination of their hearts was only evil continually, and they perished as well. The fallen angels perished. The world that rejected the message of uh, the gospel perished. And then Sodom and Gomorrah also perished. It says, in turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making an example unto those who should afterward live ungodly. So you had these folks who went after, the Bible says, strange flesh. Jude talks about it. You've got Second Peter talking about it. You also have the passage back there in Genesis where they went after uh, homosexual uh, acts and they perverted God's intended design for marriage and for sexuality, and they were judged for it accordingly. You know, God does take things <clears throat> very seriously when he says something, and when he says something is an abomination, that's not anything to be uh, quibbled with. Um, there is a preacher right now, and I'm going to go ahead and say his name. I, I had planned to do it at the very end of the message, but I, I might not make it to the end of the message. Uh, the way this is going. So, you know, many of us have been blessed by uh, Charles Stanley or his son, Andy Stanley. Uh, but Andy Stanley recently has come out with a lot of homosexual affirming uh, messages. And uh, you can, I can, if you need the, the uh, websites, I'm happy to email them to you. You can watch him preach. You can watch the videos yourself. You can make your own deductions. But, um, he has basically said uh, that while his church has not changed their statement of faith as far as what they believe about marriage, what they believe about sexuality, they're changing their practic the, 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 practically how, how they do things. So they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth, all right? 
so he just had a homosexual couple, uh, two men, uh, come preach in one of his conferences. And he is, he is uh, trying to reach, um, reach people, and he says this. He says, we're here to reach people, and any theology that excludes people, there's a problem with that theology. That sounds really, that sounds really cool. That sounds really nice, except it's not biblical. And let me tell you, uh, a lot of this happens when um, someone claims to love people more than God does. Does God love sinners? Yes, he sent Jesus Christ to die for sinners. You can't love sinners any more than God does. And if you claim to be compromising Scripture because of just how much you love people, no, there's something wrong with your theology. Andy Stanley says, here at is it North Point, whatever their church's name is, he says, uh, we don't draw lines, we draw circles. Oh, that sounds so cool, though, doesn't it? Doesn't that, did you get a little warm and fuzzy out of that? I mean, I got a little one. It's just so nice and welcoming. We don't draw lines, we draw circles. Come on, get in the circle, get in here. Let's all hold hands and sing Kubaya, or We Are the World, or whatever. You know, folks, God did not always give us warm and fuzzies. You know, it wasn't warm and fuzzy when Jesus cleansed the temple. It wasn't warm and fuzzy when Sodom and Gomorrah ended up, many scholars believe, at the bottom of the Dead Sea. You know, you ever think about the fact that that whole plain where Sodom and Gomorrah was, today it's a barren wasteland, and in Lot's day, it was the greenest place on earth. And when Abraham and Lot looked at it, Lot said, give me the green stuff. I want the lush valley. It's not lush anymore. Uh, God makes the rules because he made it all. And sometimes, folks, we fall prey to certain false teachings and false teachers because they have such an inclusive, welcoming, warm, loving spirit. But if someone claims to be more loving than God himself, something's messed up. He said this, Andy Stanley said, I know all about what the Bible says about homosexuality, and he mentioned the Romans 1, the Deuteronomy, and he went through, he says, I know all of the clobber passages, but what am I going to do about the homosexuals in my church? How do you say, I know about the, quote, clobber passages, and then brush that aside and say, but we have to reach people, as if God doesn't know that. There is a way to reach people, and it's not going to happen by brushing aside any passage of Scripture. Well, Pastor Robert, did you just say that Andy Stanley is a false teacher and that he's on his way to hell? No, I didn't say it. I didn't say that. I personally don't like to judge anybody's eternal destiny. Doesn't matter what you do, I'm not going to be the one to say, yeah, you're going to hell. I will point you to Scripture, and I'll keep pointing you to Scripture, and I'll let you and the Holy Spirit and His Word bring about what needs to take place in your heart for the necessary changes that need to take place. I will say this, in this passage, you've got false teachers who are going to hell. I believe in this passage you're referring to, we're looking at some false teachers who are hell-bound. I also believe you've got many following their pernicious ways, and in that group is a mixed bag. 
People who will follow them all the way to hell and people who will just follow them to distraction and confusion and, and destroy their lives and destroy their usefulness. And I believe today there's a spectrum with false teachers. I believe there are false teachers who came in purposefully subverting and conniving like these guys. From the beginning, they came in with a mission and, and they've had one uh, 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 one goal the whole time, and it's feed my own flesh and, and do so at the expense of the people and so forth and so on. Those guys, that's, that's obviously hardcore. Then you've got guys who I believe are saved, but they're, they're weak in their faith, and they're unstable, and they don't read the Word of God for themselves. All they do is regurgitate someone else's message, someone else's whatever. And they're susceptible to getting derailed. And there are some good men of God that I believe have given ear to some false teaching. And I'm not going to say that these men of God have lost their salvation, they're going to hell. But I am going to say they've listened to the wrong guys and it's messed them up and it's messed up their church. It's messed up their direction. And uh, wherever Andy Stanley is in all of that is between him and the Lord. Bottom line is, I don't want that kind of teaching to creep in. And it's under the guise of how much we love people. Another preacher called out Andy Stanley and said, uh, you and I don't have the same Christianity. And Stanley said, you're right, we don't. I don't have your Christianity. I don't want your Christianity. You have an exclusive Christianity, and, and Stanley's is more of an inclusive Christianity. The problem is Jesus made Christianity exclusive. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father but by me. And if you're more inclusive than Jesus, there's something wrong with your theology. So you've got Sodom and Gomorrah, what does, it, what does it tell us? That God judges sin and made an example of them. You have a worldwide flood. You've got fallen angels. And yet in the middle of all this, this passage also teaches us that you've got saints preserved. Noah and his family and Lot. Praise God for that. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Now, let me just tell you right now, if the Lord had not told us in several places that Lot was saved, I tell you, hardly anybody in here would believe he was saved. We would have strung him up a long time ago. But the Lord tells us specifically he was saved. And you look at his life, you say, well, what did he do? He, he moved his family into this pit of sin, and he lost his family. He only came out with his two daughters, but they were so corrupt, you know what they ended up doing. They seduced dad, and dad went along with it. Uh, even when he does get come out of, 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 of Sodom and Gomorrah, he does so because, do you remember, the angels picked him up and carried him out. He, he, uh, he could not leave Sodom. He is the picture of one of the most conflicted, carnal, backslidden, powerless Christians. And yet, praise God, he was saved. 
And I hope that gives hope to somebody here because there's somebody here who says, yeah, I'm like the modern day lot. I am absolutely just not doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm defeated. And I, I just need God to pick me up and carry me out. He can, but you're going to have to look to him. And there is one thing. There's one thing that Lot did do when the angel said, don't look back. <clears throat> he didn't. His wife did look back, and that was the end of her. He at least obeyed that. And he gets out, and of course, fire comes down. Salamor is gone. And uh, what does he do? Does he celebrate with praising God? No, he commits incest with his two daughters, gives birth to uh, Moab and Ammon, who end up being the sworn enemies of the children of Israel forever. That's his legacy. What did Lot do? That's his legacy. But I plan on seeing him in heaven by the grace of God. So there could be someone here, and I'll come back to this in the end, Lord willing, there could be somebody here who is, who is really conflicted. Oh man, I, I, I look more like a false prophet. Maybe I'm a false prophet. Maybe I'm not saved. And that could be you. It could be. But I will say this. If your soul is vexed over your condition, vexed means literally he was tormented daily. He was tormented. And, uh, you, you know, you, you actually care about your sin and the sin that you're struggling with and your defeated condition, those are good signs. You know, you see a calloused false teacher pictured here who has no conscience, who can't feel anything, and he's actually referred to as a natural brute beast that just goes after his animalistic instincts and passions. If you, on the other hand, are defeated and, and discouraged but you, the Holy Spirit is not letting you be at rest. That's a good sign. Uh, you need to draw into him, and you need, to, uh, you need to take some steps of faith. See, Lot's problem was just one step of unbelief after the next. The guy just wouldn't take any steps of faith. But we can take encouragement from Lot that God knew him. He knew where he was. He came after him, and God's mercy and grace was showered on him though he was no stalwart Christian and couldn't even save his own family. God still knew him and still spared him. And even after the, the, the drunkenness and incest with his daughters, he did not forfeit his salvation, but he did bring a bunch of grief into his life and into the world. And I think we need to take a moment there and just think about that. What legacy did Lot give his daughters? Will I shake their hand in heaven? I don't know about that one. What about the grandkids? Don't think so. And that's where we Christians better not say, well, I'll just make it into heaven by the skin of my teeth like Lot. I'll just be a Lot. Whew. You know, it would be a tragedy for you to get to heaven and look around for your family, your daughters, your grandkids, and you can't find them there. And they say, when you see them at the great white throne, they holler out to you, I know you said all that stuff, but it didn't seem real in your life. Can you blame me? I didn't buy it. 
And that's going to be why God will have to wipe away the tears from our eyes. Because otherwise we would cry for all eternity. What we can do to get a head start on this is we can start crying now. Cry out to God for help, for deliverance from our own defeat like Lot. Take some steps of faith. Move toward Him. Repent. Get open. Receive the help that only God can give. We learn that verse 9 is both a comfort and a warning. It's a comfort, but it's a warning. And it's an admonition. If God judged all of them, who do the false teachers think that they are, that they won't be judged likewise? We also can say, if God knew how to spare Noah and Lot, he also knows how to spare you and me. Let's just make sure that we are indeed in the fold. There is a definite precedent that God will, a divine precedent that God will judge the world, but he will also deliver his own. We have thirdly, a a I'm sorry, a defiant practice, a defiant practice, verse 10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. Who's he referring to there? I think he's referring to Michael from Jude. You know, these two passages, I'm telling you, it's like a double barrel. Same shotgun. Uh, but these as natural brute beasts, natural brute beasts, you know, the Bible talks in, in 1 Corinthians about the natural man receiveth not the things of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. We're talking about some, some natural men, unsaved individuals. Uh, they're like brute beasts that are making, made to be taken and destroyed. Now, this is where some people say, oh yeah, see, these guys were double, the double predestination. They were predestined to hell. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying, I don't believe, in, I don't believe anybody is predestined to hell, chosen to hell. Uh, but this is saying that they are made to be taken and destroyed. All right, in other words, that is what these, uh, think, think of the natural brute beasts out and about that just tear and rip up and scavenge and so forth. Uh, people don't hunt them for food. They just get rid of them, right? And he's saying these guys are kind of in that realm. They're, they're good for nothing but to just get rid of them. They just need to be wiped out. No, not even any value for food. They speak evil of things that they understand not. They shall utterly perish in their own corruption. They shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots are they and blemishes sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from a sin, beguiling unstable souls. And heart have they exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. This I've summed up as a defiant practice, verses 10 through 14. They walk in the flesh. They walk after the flesh, following their base desires, their, their, their instincts. Uh, if they have a compulsion, they, they go for it. If they have a desire, they entertain it. Folks, by the way, I was just talking with another preacher recently, and he said, one of the things I'm trying to teach my kids at an early age is how to say no to compulsions. You know, you don't have to engage every single time you have an impulse to do something. 
Starving compulsions is one of the best disciplines you can do. Now, you're going to need the Holy Spirit's enablement because you and I, in the flesh, we have no power. But pray and ask the Lord and ask for His help to help you refuse certain impulses. And I'm even not referring to sinful impulses, just don't be an impulsive person. Don't be a compulsive person. I have to do this. I have to. If you have to do it, you're bound. But Christians are free. We don't live under compulsions. We live under the power of the Spirit. So we need to starve compulsions. And it could be just as simple as your phone goes ding and you say, I'm not going to check it right now. I'm with my family. I just said it. So pray for me. My wife's looking at me like, yes, Lord. Talk to him, Lord. <laughs> okay. Uh, but there you go. That, it just dinged. I just, I just need to peek. Just, just a little peek. You know, oh, okay, it was so-and-so. Uh, you don't have to be bound by these impulses and compulsions, and they get worse, much worse. We just walk after the flesh. We just want, if it feels good, we do it. We don't even think about it. Now, this is the natural man's way of thinking. They despise authority. Well, why would you despise authority? Because authority gets in the way of me, gets in the way of my flesh, my impulses, my desires. The two go hand in hand. Someone who likes to walk in the flesh always has a hard time with authority. They have a rebel spirit, pride and arrogance. I know more than them. Presuming to know more than the authorities and holding them in contempt is just the, 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 the badge of the false prophet or those who follow in that way. They're self-willed, the Bible says. Do you see it there? Self-willed. If I want it, I do it, and I know how to get what I want, and off we go. That's the, that's the mantra. Again, back to authorities. They speak evil of authorities, and even angels won't do this. Michael the archangel, uh, he said, uh, he, what do you say? The Lord rebuked thee in Jude, Jude 9. And you have these false teachers who are so proud, they'll rebuke the devil in their own name or leave Jesus out of it. These are natural and animalistic. What does it say there? It says, these as natural brute beasts, they're instinct-driven, and they will be destroyed as natural brute beasts. Folks, we can live our life in that natural way, but it is survival of the fittest, and it is a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and it's brutal, and it's not what God has for us says that they riot in the daytime. It was considered in their day to be inappropriate even for uh, the world. It was inappropriate for them to riot in the daytime. Let's go have a party. Party on, man. We can't do that. It's not, it's not dark yet. There's certain things we only do after dark, buddy. Come on. Where's your sense of appropriateness? Even them in their sin, they had certain things you only do after dark, but not these false teachers. These false teachers were like, no, bring it on. What time is it? Oh, man, yeah, let's get a head start. Let's go. Let's get this thing in gear. They would riot in the daytime, and this, even out of the world, was considered to be uncouth and inappropriate. Most people had the, 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 a certain shame and respect of society to do certain things in, under cover of darkness. The Bible says that these guys, these false teachers, are spots and blemishes. What does that mean? It means scabs, stains. The scabs and stains of the diseased. Yuck. 
putrid. That's who Peter says they are. And while that is who they are, that's not how they're masquerading themselves. What does it say? They are deceivers and they revel in their deceptions. Look at that verse. It says, uh, spots are they in blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. They sport themselves about their deceivings amongst themselves. Can you believe what I got away with here? And uh, can you believe, oh, you too? Oh, that's hilarious. I can't believe they bought it. Laughing all the way to the bank. While they feast with you. So come on in, feast, feast. And there were all kinds of religious feasts that they did as Jews. And even at these feasts, you see that they are carried away with their own uh, wickedness. At the feast, it says, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. So what are they doing here? They're inviting people to a feast to bring them closer to the Lord. At this feast, they're eyeing the women to see who would be the potential adulteresses. And their, their, their eyes are, are full of this adultery. They cannot cease from sin, and they see these unstable souls as opportunities. Did you know some people are attracted into churches because they know they'll find unstable souls there? So newsflash, churches are full of people with needs. Uh, You've heard me say it before. I don't know who came up with this quote, but churches are not museums of saints. They're hospitals for sick. And we are saints, but we're sick saints, okay? And so if you're someone who wants to take advantage, you could work your way into positions of authority and leadership, and, and you know, hey, there's people here who are wanting God to help them with their sexual addictions. Well, maybe I'll help them with that. Let's go talk in the office. And they begin to beguile the unstable souls. There are some who you know, pay, pay good attention to testimony time. So, oh, she's struggling with that. Well, okay, then maybe I see a weakness I can exploit. And it's terrible. It's sick. It's perverted. But they have taken this, this ambition of theirs, and now they're taking the unstable souls that are coming to them for stability And rather than finding stability, they will have their instability exploited because their eyes are full of this. They cannot cease from this. And sometimes, folks, you may not be a false teacher, but you still may be dealing with this sort of a thing. You're so into your flesh You feel like, I cannot cease from sin right now. You're in a season of backsliding, a season of captivity, a season where you've just given over to your fleshly desires and you're defeated. Your eyes are full of adultery or whatever the case may be. We need our eyes to be full of Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before us endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the throne of the right hand of the majesty of God, For consider him who endured such uh, contradiction of sinners against against himself. And you and I, we haven't resisted as he has. We've got to love Jesus more. We've got to start looking at him. The more you look at him, the more you're going to see who he is and what he has done for you. And the facets begin to open up. 
Yet eyes full of Jesus, it's hard to wander when you're, you're looking straight ahead. I've talked about my lawnmower. I got my straight lines finally when the guy told me, find a tree and go straight to it. That was it. Before I was, I was all over the place. You got to have your eyes right on. The Bible says that they were covetous and cursed children, either that they themselves are the cursed children or that their children are cursed on account of the trajectory that they set them on. Either one's bad. I don't want to be the cursed children, the cursed children there of verse 14, and I certainly don't want to curse my kids. A couple of verses here. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins, Proverbs 5.22. Holden by the cords. Quote here, one author said, the aim of the man who gives himself to such fleshly things is pleasure. And his tragedy is that in the end, he loses even the pleasure. For a while, he may enjoy what he calls pleasure, but in the end, he ruins his health, wrecks his constitution, destroys his mind and character, and begins his experience of hell while he's still on earth. That's a, that's a tragic thing for sure. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy is the rottenness of bones, Proverbs 14.30. God has called us, folks, not to this defiant practice of the false teachers. God has called us to walk in the Spirit, and you'll not succumb to the flesh. Ephesians 5.18 says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. It's excess. It's not to be a part of, of who we are. It's excess. But be filled with the Spirit. These two things are in the same verse because they stand diametrically opposed to each other. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If we would but walk in the Spirit, the flesh loses its power. Because it has no power over the Spirit. Say, oh, it's so hard to walk in the Spirit. Folks, it is not hard for a humble individual to walk in the Spirit. It is impossible for a proud one. And so when people come to me and say, I just can't walk in the Spirit, I turn to Proverbs and we start working on pride. Because I'm telling you, whenever God has humbled me, walking in the Spirit is ju it just, here we go. I'm just walking in the Spirit. Humble, a humility and faith, they just go hand in hand. Humility and faith, pride and unbelief, they go hand in hand. You having a hard time walking in the Spirit? Oh, ask God to help you slay that pride. The heart of a rebel is directly opposed to God. They had this defiant practice. We see number four, a, def de uh, sorry, a deviant predecessor. There's a deviant predecessor in this passage, and his name is Balaam. This guy is such an interesting character, and I've talked about him recently in some messages in the past, and I don't have time to go through all of the book of Numbers. It's Numbers 22, 23, 24, also a little bit in Numbers 31. He also pops up in Revelation. Do you guys know this story? I hope you read this before you came today. If you haven't, you're going to have to go back and read it. Uh, he was a prophet of sorts. A seer, that could be someone who's just like a, 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 a real prophet or someone who just is like a fortune teller. 
but he was hired by Balak to curse God's people, Israel, and he says, I can't curse them unless God gives me a curse. Whatever God gives me is coming out of my mouth. And so God gave him blessings three times, and then he gave him a bonus, a fourth blessing comes in there. And Balak, the king, just about lost his mind. And Balaam was upset because he could not curse God's people, meaning he could not get paid. He was there to get paid. And of course, getting from his house to Balak was interesting because God tried to kill him a couple of times. He was going there to try to curse God's people, and so God tried to kill him a couple of times and used his donkey to speak to him. You know, you're really not with the Lord when God has to use a donkey to speak to you. But it takes one to know one, so the Lord was just putting it right on his level. Praise the Lord for that. God will put it on your level. What do you need? Um, so the Bible says that these false teachers are like Balaam in this way. They have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Basor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He loved wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb donkey, and I put donkey in there. King James has the other word. I didn't want you to think Peter was cussing at Balaam because, I mean, hey, it kind of could look that way. Uh, the dumb donkey speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. All right, so he was mad. He was out of his head. What was he mad? What was the craziness? The craziness was he was crazed with the love of money. He wanted to excel, and his ship was about to come in. So people argue all the time, was Balaam saved or lost? I saw a cool meme. You guys know these little cartoon picture things? It had a Baptist church, and on the sign at such and such Baptist church, and then it said uh, which hymnal they used in 1611 King James and a blue carpet. Uh, Adam, no navel, Balaam lost. <laughs> it's like, there you go, man. I know where that stirred stands. Okay, I think it was a joke. Uh, but anyway, whether you're Balaam saved or Balaam lost, I'm not going to answer that one for you today. I, I, because for, for the, furthermore, the Bible does not say specifically the way he does with Lot. With Lot, he just says he was righteous. So there we go. We're done. Lot was saved. The Bible doesn't say specifically uh, with Balaam. I lean toward Balaam being lost. Uh, but regardless, he's used here as an example. And the example is... Uh, to, to, to draw a parallel, as Balaam sold his soul to unrighteous riches, so do the false teachers. That's the point of this passage. And you can argue about who Balaam was as much as you want, but that's not really the main point here. The point was they did what he did. They forsook the right way. They are astray. They are following the wages of unrighteousness to their own destruction. That's the point. And to do what Balaam did certainly is madness. Think about the madness for a moment. God told him don't go, and he still goes. The, the donkey tells him don't go, he, he still goes. There, there's an angel there with a sword, he ends up still going. He gets there and God blesses 
the people once with a beautiful, beautiful blessing. He still is not happy. Happens again. Happens a third time. Happens a fourth time. And he says, I am so mad. He could have been so thrilled that God used him. How many of you would love to be used of God in that way? To bless people abundantly and be that vehicle. That, that was, that's better than any riches. But no, he goes and he cooks up a plan in Numbers 31, 16. The Bible says that Balaam died with all of the Midianites because he counseled them to basically commit adultery and intermarry with the children of Israel so that they would, he would bring them into a snare. And that's exactly what happened. And the people ended up having the curse of, of Peor. So did Balaam win after all? Yeah, he actually did. He snuck out a victory in the ninth inning. And there was this great plague, this great curse. And we, there's reason to believe that Balaam did get his pay. He died right there with the kings. And if you can look it up yourself, Numbers 31, 16, it lists all the kings and it lists Balaam. They're assumingly, presumably, they're all together. He made it. He got his penthouse. He got his pay and he got the same sword that they got. That is madness. To refuse God, to know so much of God and refuse God is madness. Balaam lost his soul despite a knowledge of God, an understanding of the truth, and a miraculous set of experiences. I hope it would never be said of any of us the same. The love of money is the root of all evil, and even if you are a blood-bought child of God, that love of money is going to undo your life. It may not doom your soul, but it's going to destroy your life. Your love for Christ must supersede all others. Number five, there is a devoid promise. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried away with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. Those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. For of, a man, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought in bondage. What are we talking about here? We're talking about these guys who have a promise that's empty. It's a devoid promise. Hey, here's a well. Here's a well. Oh, there's no water in it. Ah. Don't you hate that? Oh, I hate that. I remember one time I made this beautiful burger. I, mean, I put everything on it. And I'm an everything and some kind of a guy. And mayonnaise goes on both sides of the bun, plus chipotle sauce. But I, I'm all about the sauces. Everything else is secondary. I made this thing with everything in it. And I just, oh, here we go. The big, the big moment. I was so disappointed. How could this let me down? It had everything. Took another bite, another bite. My brother's like, John, where's the hamburger? Oh. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. I, I, oh no, I became a vegan. I didn't mean to. But that might get me in this passage here. I know that'd be terrible. Uh, but without, without the, the burger, it was, it, was, it, was, it was an empty promise, right? So here they are, wells without water, clouds without rain. You have a cloud coming in. You're all excited. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. And then the wind, the tempest, it says, pushes it right out. It's gone. 
How many people have gone to a false teacher? I'm going to get something. I'm going to get something. And no, nothing. They have big, flashy words, the Bible says. They speak great, swelling words of vanity. Be careful of the big, flashy, impressive words. You might say, well, I'm not even sure what he said, but that was awesome. If you're not sure what he said, it wasn't awesome. Okay, you need to make sure you're studying and you're, you're learning. Being a Berean. Great swelling words of vanity. They allure through the lust of the flesh. They use your lust. They play on your lusts. Be careful there. Through wantonness. Wantonness means unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, shamelessness. So through their wantonness, they take advantage of your wantonness or your lust of your flesh, and they allure. And so many churches have just set their sails toward the lusts of the people. What do you desire? What do you need? I heard a preacher talking about how so many churches now all they do is preach to felt needs. It's all it is. It's felt needs, felt needs, felt needs. It's it's, it's touchy-feely. I was uh, reading a blog trying to learn how to be a better pastor and, and prioritize and get better productivity. And this one guy said, you guys are spending way too much time in sermon prep. He says, I'm, I'm an, in, in my a study from Tuesday morning, 8 o'clock to noon, and my sermon is done every single time. Now, how can you do that? I, I, don't, I don't understand that. And, he's, and then he, he posts, um, he has a yearly sermon calendar and it's the same thing every year. The topics are the same. He just plugs in different messages. And he had it. He had 52 weeks. There it is. I preach on this felt need on the 30, 32nd week and this felt need on the 33rd week. It'll be a new message, but it's the same thing. It's like just plug and play. Yeah, I could do that Tuesday, 8 to noon. I don't even think it'd take me 8 to noon. But if you're not worried about preaching through the whole counsel of God... You're not worried about really giving people the Bible. Yeah, there's things that you can do there, but we need to be careful here, folks. The reason that this has such a a prevalence is because there's a demand. Where there is supply, there's always demand. And we are the ones who heap to ourselves the teachers for our itching ears. So it is some responsibility here. They allure with promises of liberty, though they are captives themselves of corruption. Don't get easily caught up in the rich words and compelling promises. Focus rather on what these individuals are producing. Do they walk with God? Do they really know God? Don't allow your own lust of the flesh to cause you to be easily allured into error. I'll tell you why a lot of people end up leaving a good church and going to a compromised church is because you're not walking in the Spirit, you're walking in the flesh, you're hearing preaching that is convicting you, and, after, and you're feeling miserable, and rather than coming to God and getting the burden lifted and becoming free, you finally just say, you know what, I'm done feeling bad. I'm done going to church and feeling how sinful I am. I'm going to that church because that church will just make me feel good. Now, oh, it's, oh, liberation. And you'll see it on Facebook. I went to the such and such a feel-good church and my life has changed. Well, you feel better, but you're still a sinner. And you're still in captivity. And now you're going down with the ship, but you like it. 
because the food is good and the music is great and everybody else is here with me or is cool. Don't let your own lust of the flesh cause you to be easily allured into some error. Don't take a promise of liberty from a, serpent, from a servant of corruption. If he has been overcome, then he is in bondage. And this will be a quick one. Number six, is a, there's a definite perdition. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For if, uh, for it had been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Okay, it says that they have escaped the pollutions of the world through a knowledge of the Lord. Okay, in a sense, they have, and, and maybe there were some things that, like Simon, the sorcerer, he liked some things that he saw, and he, he, he kind of made a pretense to go toward the Lord, but immediately we find out why he did it. He did not just want to be free from the world and the flesh and sin and whatever. He also wanted some, some gain out of this. And he offers to buy the Holy Spirit or buy the ability to give the Holy Spirit. Um, and so uh, there are some who may have been drawn here trying to escape some of the pollutions of the world. And they know a lot about the Lord Jesus. But they refuse him, verse 1. They deny him. This is a problem. Uh, the word epigonoskis that's that word for knowledge, through the knowledge of the Lord. It means a full, precise, correct knowledge. So the question is, obviously, then were they saved? If they had a full, precise, correct knowledge. And I would say this, knowledge has never saved anybody. Even a full, correct, precise knowledge has never saved anybody. When you take the netcaster's uh, class about how to share your faith. We talk about three angles of faith. Knowledge is one. The will is the other. Uh, understand, agree, and depend. Faith is the final angle. We have a triangle. Understand, agree, depend. And you can understand fully, precisely, and completely and still say, no, thank you. So that's why I believe what's happened here. I believe these guys really do understand. I, I, I think of one. I saw a, a teacher that I have my doubts about, or I have my, my um, assumptions or whatever you want to say, speculations about whether or not this teacher is saved. He, he wrote this book that was a um, live your best life kind of thing now and uh, you know, make a bunch of money and blah, 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 blah. And back in the appendices was a page that said the gospel. And he had like two or three paragraphs of the gospel. And I read it, and technically, yeah, I thought, yep, that, that is the gospel. He got it right. But look at where he put it. To me, if I was trying to be a false teacher who was lost, that's exactly what I would do. I would not say I don't believe the gospel and lose my, lose my color. I wouldn't blow my cover. I'm not that dumb, right? I'd write a book about everything but the gospel, and then, oh yeah, the gospel is in appendices number two. See that if it applies. Well, uh, the Bible says they've refused him, verses one and two, they deny, denied the truth, and this is why their end is to be so severe. They were on a pathway of, to escape. They 
understood, they had the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, they refused it, and their punishment will be the more severe for this willful rejection. It would have been better for them had they never heard the truth than to have heard it and rejected it. If you have heard the gospel, it's imperative that you repent and believe. There might be some people here, you've heard the gospel over and over and over and over again. Let me tell you, I'm glad you heard it, but if you don't accept the gospel soon, it'll actually be used against you at judgment day. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And I do believe there are different even degrees of punishment It's going to be different for someone who never heard than for the guy who heard 55,000 times and refused. Now was the day of salvation. It would have been better for them had they never heard the truth than to have rejected it. So if you have heard it, it's imperative that you repent and believe and do not refuse Jesus Christ. Your knowledge won't save you. It will only intensify your condemnation. So repent today. And we conclude with verse 21. 22, verse 22, but it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed in her wallowing in the mire, the dog, as I said before last week, is still a dog. It wasn't a dog that became a sheep, but then became a dog. The dog was always the dog. The sow is still a sow. The sow didn't become a sheep and then become a sow. It always was a sow. So I'm, I, I believe that this helps us understand who these people were. It's not that we had somebody who really got saved and then lost it and went back. No, this, this false teacher was always a false teacher. He was always in error. And now, though he cleaned himself up, now he's back in the mud. Does that make sense? Dog's still a dog. Sow's still a sow. They didn't become sheep and go back. This is who they were. This is their true nature. And I will say this. Eating vomit. Sorry, it's Bible. And wallowing in the mud is, is not characteristic of a Christian, but Christians can do it. Christians can fall in the mud. You look at a sheep. Do sheep, is that what they're known for? Are sheep known for eating vomit? Sorry, guys. No, they're not known for that, but they, I mean, it's physically possible. Are they known for wallowing in the mud? They're not known for that either, but they've done it. They're, the sheep are kind of dumb, and, you know, off they go, and rolling around, thrashing, you know, legs up in the air, shepherd has to come, help them back out, but they're not, oh, that was so fun, let's do it again. Now that, sheep aren't really looking for that, and so it is with Christians. If you're in the mud, I suppose that you could be a false teacher, or you could have followed a false teacher into the mud, and you need to get back out. Final appeal is this. First of all, obviously, this chapter is teaching us beware of false teachers. Know their traits. Test them by the Scriptures. That means you need to know the Scriptures. Do not be enamored with their words. Test their words. And make sure that you're not an unstable soul that is easily beguiled. I don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that, that individual. We want to be stalwart responsible stewards of the word who have begun to exercise discernment. And we, we can say, okay, hang on, this doesn't smell right. Beware of those who have adopted practices and philosophies of the false teachers. So here we go. This gets closer to home. I already mentioned the Andy Stanley thing. 
which one of these he is, is the Lord's business, but I'm not comfortable with where he's at. I'm going to say something that might make somebody sad, mad, upset. I'm not trying to upset anybody, but I got to say it. Billy Graham was greatly used of God in his early days, and I have been so blessed by going back to some of his YouTube videos that are black and white as he pleads with people to come to Christ. But it does grieve me that at the end, in 1997, he was inter interviewed by Dr. Robert Schuler, another individual that I would put somewhere in this list. And Schuler said this, this is the transcript word for word, tell me what is the future of Christianity? Dr. Graham replies, well, Christianity and being a true Christian, you know, uh, a true believer, you know, I think there is a, uh, there's the body of Christ which comes from all the Christian groups around the world or outside the Christian groups. I think that everybody that loves Christ or knows Christ, whether they're conscious of it or not, they're members of the body of Christ. And I don't think that we're going to see a great sweeping revival. This is Billy Graham, the revivalist. I don't think we're going to see a great sweeping revival that will turn the whole world to Christ at any time. What God is doing today is calling people out of the world for his name, whether they come from the Muslim world or the Buddhist world or the Christian world or the non-believing world. They are members of the body of Christ because they've been called by God. They may not even know the name of Jesus, but they know in their hearts that they need something and they don't have it and they turn to the only light they have, and I think they're saved, and I think they're going to be with us in heaven. Dr. Schuler says, what I hear you saying is that it's possible for Jesus Christ to come into a human heart and soul and life, even if they've been born in darkness and have never had exposure to the Bible? Is that a correct interpretation of what you're saying? Dr. Graham says, yes, it is because I believe that. I've met people in various parts of the world in tribal situations that have never seen a Bible or heard about the Bible, have never heard any of Jesus, but they've believed in their hearts that there is a God, and they've tried to live a life that was quite apart from their surrounding community in which they lived. Schuler says, this is fantastic. I'm so thrilled to hear you say that. There's a wideness in God's mercy, and Graham says there is, there definitely is. They just obliterated Scripture. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Folks, if people are saved by osmosis without a Bible, without the name of Jesus, without ever having any knowledge of him, we don't need to send missionaries anywhere. And he would have never told us to go. He said, go, preach, and teach. Baptize them in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Ghost. So he was all off, if that is the case. And here again, I think, folks, Dr. Graham is another individual who, like Stanley, I want to give him the benefit out for a moment. I think both of these guys really love people. I know Dr. Graham loved people. He would weep tears over people. But we got to make sure that we, again, don't love people more than God does. And you can't. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, Dr. Graham, should not perish but have everlasting life. Do I believe that Dr. Graham was not saved? I'm just going to tell you, I don't believe that. 
he was lost. I believe that he was saved. I believe I'm going to see Dr. Graham in heaven. I believe in his later years, he did what any of us could do. We begin to tire in the fight. We begin to get weary. And we, and we also so badly just want everybody to be saved. And we, I want everybody to be there. And we start to make concessions that God never made. And while it may not damn your soul, your children, your grandchildren, that's another story. I'm over time. Beware of false teachers. Beware of those who have adopted practices and philosophies of false teachers. And beware of your own introspection on one hand or compromise on the other. Introspection meaning, I wonder if I'm a false teacher. I wonder if I'm a false teacher. I wonder if I'm a false teacher. Take it easy. God's not playing games with you. Let's get in the Word. If you have doubts, let's talk. We'll work it through. We'll walk it through. We'll let God help us solve that issue. But be also beware of your compromise because we also as sheep, we can fall into that mud. We can follow the wrong ones and we can do so to our destruction. Lord, I pray you would help us as those who I trust this morning have come to know you as Lord and Savior. I pray that you would help us to have hearts that would be filled with your word and the discernment that your Holy Spirit gives. Guard us against false teaching. And I pray that you'd help us to not let compromise come in where we resemble false teachers. Lord, convict us, rebuke us, and bring us to repentance, I pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed, pianos playing. Would you do business with God? I doubt that I'm preaching to a whole bunch of false teachers this morning, though I can't assume. But I'm going to guess I'm preaching more to Christians who've been affected by them. Some Christians who need to get down to business about their trajectory, what's going to happen to their life, their kids, their loved ones. Will you take a moment, draw into God,